Good afternoon. Thanks for joining. I'll be talking today about how to do deep learning on a, at scale, specifically how to do deep learning on, on EC2's CPUs. And I'm joined by Juan Carlos, who is the CEO of Billings, and he'll talk about how his company, how they're doing deep learning across multiple nodes on EC2 instances, across multiple CPU nodes. So quick uh, overview of, of, of today's talk. Uh, I want to give you some quick overview of deep learning and then talk about how to do fine tuning, some of the theory behind deep learning, and then Juan Carlos will, will join us and talk about the work that they're doing at Billings. Um, so deep learning, I assume many of us are familiar, it's, it's a branch of machine learning, and it's essentially uh, where data is passed through multiple uh, layers, some linear transformations and some nonlinear transformations. And the goal of deep learning is to find the parameters or the weights of this transformation in order to minimize some cost function. And I'll give you an example in, in, in a moment. This is an old idea from the 60s that was brought back in the 80s and was recently brought back a few years ago. And what made it possible, what made this rapid growth in deep learning possible is that now we have access to larger data sets, we have faster uh, hardware, and we have developed better algorithms. So in deep learning, there are different types of deep, lear deep learning. The three main types are supervised learning, where you have uh, data with labels associated with them. You have unsupervised learning, where you don't have any labels. And you have reinforcement learning, where you might uh, give a reward based on, on a given action. Um, and there are variations. For example, buildings, they use semi-supervised learning uh, or weak supervised learning. So to give an example of supervised learning, let's suppose you have an image, in this case of a cat, and the output, the expected output, should be a series, a vector, where all the entries are zeros except for the entry corresponding to the class cat. So you should have a, uh, you should have a 100% uh, certainty that, that that's a cat, that's, that's the expected label, and in practice, you take the, the image, you pass it through your network on the forward propagation, and then you get an output. You compute, you compute a measurement or a metric of error between the actual output and the expected output. And then this penalty or cost gets back propagated through a network. And this is the, this back propagation tells you how much do you need to change or adjust the weight in your network such that the cost decreases? Such, in other words, such that the, such that the output it gets closer and closer to the expected output. Now, the first part of training is actually a call. A, the forward propagation is also known as inference. It's what gets used once you train your network and you deploy it. This is also known as testing or scoring. 
uh, or deployment. And deep learning is used across many uh, use cases, such as we've heard today in other conferences, in other sessions, about personal assistance in the Amazon Echo uses it. Uh, recently we, have, we heard a session about uh, doing recommender systems. Uh, so Xerida, it's, it's used for many applications. So uh, I want to present what in Intel's deep learning environment is. So we start with an excellent uh, deep learning environment as, such as Amazon's web services, and on top of that we have Intel's optimized libraries, such as the math kernel library. Uh, and those libraries get plugged into the popular deep learning frameworks, such as MXNet, Cafe, TensorFlow, or others. And I want to hit briefly each of these, uh, each of these uh, points. So let's start with Amazon Web Services. So the C4 instances is what Amazon refers to, and this is a quote from, from their website. The highest performing processors and the lowest price per compute performance in EC2. Uh, now today, we, the C5 instances were announced. Uh, they're they're going to be based on Skylake, which has uh, the same width. It's going to be twice as much. So instead of 512, we're going to go to, instead of 256, they're going to go to 512. So assuming all things were to be equal, then the performance, in theory, should could potentially double. Um, now, EC2 instances are used by a number of companies. So Billings is, is one of them where they do a lot of deep learning applications on not just one instance, but they can distribute the workload across multiple instances. Another one is, is a Picasso. I don't know if you ever use the app where you take a photo and, and then you choose the artist that you want your photo to be uh, rendered as, so, so you can Picassify it. I think that's how they, they, they call it. So your photo could look like a drawing from Picasso or some other artist of your choice. And the inference uh, in, in, in their workload is done on the C4 instances. So to give an example of, of how expensive would it be to, or is, or is to do deep learning inference on EC2 instances, here I show on the popular MXNet uh, framework the images per second across popular topologies. So AlexNet is, is one that is short and is fast, and so you get over 600 images per second. Uh, some of the newer topologies, like ResNet, used to, used, you only get roughly around 80 images per second. But still, it's, it's very competitive performance. And so let's suppose you're using GoogleNet uh, V1. Uh, you could um, process over uh, 1 million images. It would cost you roughly $2 to process if you were using the on-demand price. And, and of course, we, we know that we can always use the spot prices to get even lower pricings. Now, it's hard to see, but, but on, the, on the left of the blue bars, there are some very tiny, tiny um, orange bars. And this is the performance that you would get on MXNet if you were not to use Intel's optimized libraries. I'll talk about those libraries in, in a moment. But you can see that with, if you don't use the libraries in MXNet, you pay, I mean, the, the 
the performance improvement of using them is about 100 times better. Um, and you tend to see this similar type of performance in other deep learning frameworks. So the Intel Math Kernel Library uh, is a library that is optimized for CPUs, uh, for Xeon CPUs, and it's optimized for common uh, layers in deep learning. So in deep learning, top, in deep learning, you create a bunch of different topologies, whether you're talking about recurrent neural networks or convolutional neural networks, fully connected networks. But most of these topologies, even though they might be very different from one another, they are composed of the same building blocks. So you can think of these building blocks as Lego pieces where you can put Legos in a bunch of different configurations to come up with various types of topologies. And so what Intel has done is Intel has optimized uh, all the popular deep learning functions, such as the convolutional layer, the rectified linear unit, or other nonlinear transformations, such as, such as the, uh, the gem operations, uh, pooling, et cetera. Um, so to give an example of the optimizations, um, if you were to write a convolution naively, you would just write it as, as shown here as a set of seven for loops. Uh, but this, the performance of this implementation on a CPU or any other architecture would be actually would be quite terrible because you're not using the uh, the memory or the registers available in the architecture. So you could rewrite this, and I won't go through this, um, um, but there's a link to the paper if, if you're interested in, in all the details, where you can rewrite a convolution in a way that is much much friendlier, much more cut-friendlier, that takes advantage of the of the width of the of the uh, the instructions that does register blocking, takes advantage of the fuse uh, multiply add components of the, the CPUs, and you can significantly improve the performance. So when you are uh, calling an MXNet convolutional function, you will use this type of function underneath. So the user doesn't, doesn't have to uh, implement uh, optimized functions. They, are, they, they come in the math kernel library. In addition, uh, the math kernel library is, is a closed source right now. We're working uh, on open sourcing the functions that are uh, important for deep learning. We release a tech preview known as MKL DNN that's open source with an Apache 2 license that users can download directly from GitHub and, and use and distribute in, in their commercial applications without ever having to sign any licenses with, with Intel. So I want to give you a quick uh, example of using um, the math kernel library versus not using the math kernel library. And I, I included a, a Jupyter notebook um, as part of this presentation, and I'll show you the link uh, later on in the presentation so you can, you can reproduce all the examples that I'm going to go through. Um, so I already implemented the first part of these steps. Essentially, you just start a, very, a brand new instance with Ubuntu 16.04, 
and you download um, a data set that I'll use later in the presentation. And I installed Anaconda just so that I could also run uh, the Jupyter Notebook. And that's it. And from that point, I go through the steps of, in this case, installing the dependencies for CAFE, um, then installing the actual CAFE. And I'm going to install both versions of the main CAFE, as, as you can find from, from Berkeley, from the Berkeley Vision Learning Center, or what I call BVLC CAFE, and Intel's optimized CAFE. Now, for CAFE, the branches are uh, in sync. We, we are constantly making sure that any changes that happen to the main branch get incorporated in, into optimized Cafe. So all the GPU performance you get in one, you'll get in the other one. It's just in the Intel optimized Cafe, you also get excellent CPU performance. Similar with MXNet, except in MXNet it's directly incorporating to the main uh, framework. So I've compiled already, and I'm going to run this quick script. What this does is it's going to, uh, it's going to run 50 iterations, meaning I'm going to take uh, chunks of uh, images, and I'm going to run 15 chunks of images. And I'll talk about in details, the details as, as I run them. And I'll just run it directly in the console so you can see the outputs as, as, as they happen. So this is the this is the main branch BBLC Cafe, and you can see uh, I'm, pros I'm using the popular topology known as Google Net, um, and I'm using batch size of 32, so chunks of 32 images at a time. That's one iteration, and to do a forward and a backward propagation, it's taking just a little bit over a, a 2,000 milliseconds using uh, using that branch. Now, using Intel's optimized CAFE, and I'm going to run this for 50 iterations because it's, it's a little faster. Here. You can see that it takes less than 100 milliseconds to do a four and a buffer propagation. So you can see that significant improvements in performance thanks to a, a math kernel library. That's the main difference between the two branches. Um, furthermore, I, I didn't point this out, but it, the average for propagation in BBLC was actually over 1,000 milliseconds. So if you were using this for just inference, then you can get uh, up to around 30 times the improvement by using Intel's optimized cafe. For many um, companies, they don't want to, to go in, to an adding car uh, to do some of their workloads. They want to do everything in, their, in, the, in the main host. So this provides an opportunity uh, for you to do all your entire workload in the main CPU. So I want to do another demo, but before I do it, I just want to explain a little bit of theory. Um, 
Earlier I mentioned how you want to decrease the cost function. The cost function it was this metric between the, between the expected output and the actual output. Um, now in practice, there are millions of parameters in current neural networks or something, even billions nowadays, uh, parameters that make up this, uh, this network. So, so the cost function lives in a really very high dimensional space. So it's hard to visualize it, but, but for this purpose, imagine you just had uh, a one dimension. And you pick a random guess, so you guess your networks, uh, your, I'm sorry, you guess the weights of your network. And so that dot, that W0, is your initial guess. And the initial guess has a cost function uh, associated with the black dot. And you want to make a decision of where to move so that you, your cost decreases. Now, here it's easy to, to visualize it. But in practice, in a high-dimensional space, you, you couldn't. Uh, so in practice, what you do is you compute the gradient. And you can observe here that if the gradient is positive, then you would move to the left. If the gradient is negative, then you would move to the right. In other words, you're moving in the direction opposite to the gradient, so that your next weight would be your current weight minus the gradient. And actually, it would be minus the gradient times some learning rate. And this learning rate is one of the most important parameters that you have to pick when you're training these networks. So if the learning rate is too small, then each step you take is, is, is very small, and it will take you a very long time to reach the minimum. And in fact, there are some reasons why uh, you having a small learning rate, even if you had a lot of time, may not actually give you the best performance. You might get stuck at, 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 in areas where you have where the derivative is close to zero. So having a, a large learning rate is, is good, except if you have a learning rate that is too large, you might overshoot the minimum. You might actually start diverging instead of converging. So there is a um, bit of a black art where you just have to play with the hyperparameters to pick the, a good enough learning rate that takes you closer and closer to the minimum. So I want to do a, a, another demo of showing you how to do a fine tuning. Um, and I'll use this concept of learning rate in a moment. But first, what, what is fine tuning? Fine tuning is when you have a trained network that you train in one particular data set, usually a very large data set, and you want to take that network and fine tune it or retrain it in a smaller data set. So for example, let's suppose you have access to um, the 1.2 million images of the ImageNet classification challenge, and you train uh, a network. Let's suppose you train AlexNet or CafeNet or some other popular uh, network topology. And then you want to take that network and apply it just for the simple task of classifying between a dog and a cat, or maybe a little bit more complex tasks of classifying between the different types of nuclei, nuclei cells. Um, so how, how do you do that? Well, first, uh, one of the interesting things about networks is the first few layers tend to be the same across various different types of tasks. So whether you're detecting faces, whether you're detecting um, cars, whether you're detecting cells, 
the first few layers don't change very much from layer to layer. So you can use the same first few layers of your train network and only retrain the last few layers. And the number of layers that you have to retrain depends on how similar the new task is to the old task. So in this case, if you're retraining just for dog versus cat, just because it's similar to uh, the original image classification challenge of the ImageNet data set, then, then you would only have to retrain one layer. That should be sufficient. Uh, if you're doing the nuclei uh, classification task, then you might want to retrain two or, or three layers. So the, the steps is you first you know, take your, your favorite uh, framework, MXNet, Cafe, or whatever is your choice. You download an, a train model, or you train a model from scratch with a very large data set. Um, and then you take the train model, and you uh, do just a few, a few small steps. So if you're using Cafe, um, there is just um, three main lines that you need to switch. One is the name of the data set, so the source is where is your data set, so obviously you'll have a new data set. For this demo, I'll just do it, the simple dog versus cat. You need to change the, the names of the layers that you're going to retrain. In this case, I'm going to retrain the eighth layer, which is a fully connected layer, FC8. So I just change it to FC8FT for fine tuning. And finally, the number of classes, the number of, of of output. So in the original network, I had 1,000 different outputs. In this one, I'm just going to have two outputs, dog versus a cat. Um, there is one more parameter that you can adjust, which is the individual learning rate of each layer. So if you want the network to remain the same and just change one layer, then you can make the learning rate for each of the layers that you want to be changing equal to zero. Or in this, in CAFE, it's called learning multiplier, where you have the global learning rate, and then each uh, layer has its own learning rate multiplier. And they're usually set to one. You can set them to zero if you don't want to do any training on those. Um, and, and finally, because uh, the network is actually farther it, it's, it's nearly done training because you've trained it on a, on a large data set, then, then you can ha choose a learning rate that is rather small. So you want to decrease the learning rate by 10 times or, or even 100 times. Um, so in, in the example that I'm going to show you, we are going to just replace the last layer from 1,000 units to two units, and therefore we're going to come up with brand new weight for the, for the last layer. They are going to be initialized uh, randomly, but all the other weights will remain uh, the same weights as a trained model. So in, in here, I'm, I'm showing how to, you know, the steps of where you have to go and get the data. The data for this dog versus cats comes from a Kaggle competition that was hosted about two and a half years ago. Um, and I go through the steps of how to take that data set and put it into a format that Cafe takes it. 
and I won't go through that, it's already set up, um, and the changes that I just mentioned. And so now let's take the, um, Let's, let's do some, some fine-tuning. What I'm going to do here, though, is I'm going to show a, a poor example of a learning rate. In this case, the learning rate that I'm choosing is 0 0.003, which is actually a large learning rate, and, and you'll see what happens. Oops. I don't want to keep you waiting. I'll tell you what happens. Um, so if you choose a large learning rate, what, what you see is that the loss function starts increasing and increasing, um, um, and, and eventually you, you end up not learning anything. And if you choose a, low, a very small learning rate, then you observe that you do make progress. Your classification accuracy starts getting better and better and better, but it's very, very small. Uh, so, so you, you play around with that number, and then you get a good enough learning rate. Um, and I'm going to turn the time to, to, to JC um, to talk, tell us a little bit about how they're using Intel's CPUs on EC2 for their, and the type of work that they're doing. Can you hear me? Okay. Um, thank you for coming. So the main reason why I'm here uh, co-presenting with uh, Andres is that uh, Billings, the startup that I co-founded with a few friends and I'm the CEO, uh, we need as much um, uh, performance as possible to train our huge uh, deep network platform in real time. Okay. Uh, we, we need that real time. We need to train it as fast as possible. So. And the question is, why do you need that? No? That's what I'm trying to address here in a few slides. So if you are thinking about what we are trying to achieve or the problem we are trying to solve, imagine that uh, machines can uh, process uh, any video and extract the relevant parts of the video that are relevant for each of you. Trying to, you can call it highlights, you can call it summary, you can call it preview, but imagine that you don't need to go through the whole video and you know a machine can really understand your preference and then look at the video and extract that parts of the video that are relevant to you. And that means that it's not just for personal videos. It means that ESPN could do the highlights of any game in real time automatically and pass it to any editor. Or you know, if you have hours of hours of drones, uh, of video drones, uh, you can not watch all of them and just extract those parts that are relevant to you. So this is the kind of problem we are trying to solve. The problem can be divided in two main blocks. One is uh, what we call the classification. Okay, in order to 
be able to extract the relevant parts for you, we really need to understand what is inside of the video. We need to understand, you know, every frame, a whole video. We need to understand it properly. And the challenge here is that uh, current or the most solutions on, in terms of the network for video or images are based on database that someone, you know, make it public with uh, manual tags and kind of, you know, the same database for the next six months until the next update of the database. But the problem is there are a camera here. We are recording this event, and this event is different from the, the reinvent of last year or any other conference and so on. So generic database that they provide generic tags will not be able to go to the specific content of every video. Okay, so every video is different. Every moment in life is different. Now is a different moment than it will be in an hour forward or tomorrow or the day after. So if I'm working with the ESPN and I'm the channel of, of baseball, there are multiple baseball games. Every game is different. But the current data set of training that we are using, it will tell you this is a baseball game, this is a baseball player, but it will not go specifically if this is a Giants versus Yankees or the Red Sox. And we need to be that specific. We need to know the players, we need to know the game, and we need to know it in real time because the game of today is different than yesterday. So we have to constantly training the, the solution, the platform, and it has to be in real time. Okay, that's the biggest challenge. We have huge amount of content that we are putting into the platform, and we are constantly, constantly training and dating and understanding. That's the first problem. The second is, okay, where we get the tags. Okay, so if the current database are not working, we need to find a solution. I need tags. I need to put the words or in something that tells me that this is reinvent from AWS and attack, and this is a conference about uh, Intel and billings and everything else. Okay, that's a problem that we need to address. And when we are able to classify with very specific keywords every part of the video, then the next problem is we need to make a prediction. Okay, so there are two machine, pro two machine learning problems here. One is the classification, and another one is the prediction. The prediction here will be what are the preference for the highlights that will work for each of you. Okay, that has to learn about your preference, and it has to learn about your interest and everything, and then look to the, class, the part of the video that's classified and trying to find it and make a prediction of what will be uh, suitable for you. And then based on metrics, we'll know if the prediction works or not, and we will learn from that. So that platform that tries to look for its own tags, put to the video, find a way to put the tags into the specific frames or specific parts of each video, then make a prediction of what is relevant of that video for the audience, and it's learning from that, it can work for any kind of solution, okay? It can work for any kind of video because at the end it's constantly learning. There is no human intervention here, not to build a database for training, not to understand if the prediction is working, and learning from that. It's all learning by itself. That's why the benefit, it goes across multiple markets, even though we have started working with the media companies, and I will explain later why. And one of the reasons, by the way, is because and they have access to a tons of data, media, some publishers. We are working with the news and, and, and media companies, so we collect a lot of videos, and we are constantly learning, and we are building that database every day that has more uh, content, more tags, and more information. The team is, well, I'm very proud to work with all of them, uh, all PhDs and experts on machine learning and deep learning. Uh, this is the part of the team that is working on the machine learning uh, blogs, but they are front-end and back-end people. We are working with AWS, so very fun uh, time working with all of them, and I'm very pleased. Uh, starting from Ellie, our CTO, she worked at um, NASA as well, MIT, and developing machine learning for autonomous satellites. And she's having a lot of fun, you know, part uh, transitioning part of that knowledge to the, the video space. 
And at the end, the big vision is what I say. So that we believe in a world where there are going to be cameras everywhere. You are going to have, uh, you know, hours of hours of videos that people will not be able to process and it will, you know, the, and understand it. So machines need not just to understand it and extract the relevant part for you, but also being able to index all of that content really quickly. Okay, it's not just uh, cell phones or smart cities that you know have cameras everywhere. An example, it will be your Tesla that has already eight cameras and is producing tons of content that you know a machine needs to understand and classify it. So part of the solution, it, it, it works on how we extract the keywords, okay? And I will go uh, uh, into details later, but it's very important because uh, if you use a, a database of video that is very popular, uh, YouTube, it has a, a 1.8 tags average per video. Um, that will give you a graph of knowledge that is less than one uh, five years old uh, kid will have, okay? Uh, and, and that is not a specific. That will never give you something like this is a video about Hillary Clinton, the emails scanned, or the YouTube, or the Donald Trump. So something very specific, you cannot get out of that database. We'll tell you there is a person or another person in a video, or if it's a sports, or if it's a travel. But it doesn't go to very specific. So you have to build a solution that generate those tags that, that you can use them to classify the video properly, and then you can do the prediction. First market for us has been uh, media, basically because they are already generating tons of content. They have um, a lot of videos, and also the, you have a lot of information, not just in their website, you have in social media, in YouTube, web. You have tons of places where you have the text uh, that you can extract the keywords or everything that is related to the video. Okay, so that's, for us, is an easy way to start building our database uh, that automatically collects uh, keywords and, 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 and metadata and associated to specific parts of the video. Some customers, well, some of the confidentialists in Europe at the TBS, CBS, right now we, we started in one show, now we are moving across all the shows in CBS and we will be uh, soon working also with the full episodes and so on. So very excited and there are more customers in, in the pipe, so you will see that solution and here, the way, that, the way that you will see it is that instead of just a static picture that you will see as a description of the video, you can do the mouse over and you will have a, a five-second clip that will start with a relevant part of the video, and soon you will see that that clip will be different for you than for, for your wife, maybe, or someone else in your family, so it will be personalized with the intention that you, if you find it interested, you will click and watch it. So you are going to increase the click-through and the engagement of those sites, and that will mean more revenue for them. So before getting into the block diagram, one more slide in terms of product and how it's applicable. Um, basically, we have the inputs of the video. We have the contextual data that we are grabbing from any source. We use right now social media, YouTube, web, but it could be any source that can give us uh, text related to the content. We are agnostic on that. And then finally, the audience data that will tell us if our prediction is correct, but also if the tags that we are associating to the specific parts of the videos is correct too. We use that to uh, correct uh, our machine learning solution. And the outputs are those moments on the video that we think are relevant, the intelligent tags that we are associated to them. And that helps you to do intelligent video thumbnail. Instead of just static picture, you put something that will describe what is inside. You can put that into social media. You can help people like... Uh, 
and DirecTV, that you are watching the, the finals of the NBA and you are in the last quarter and you want to put something in social media, uh, DirecTV will let you to, you know, put some moments of, 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 the, of that game that has been, they were popular or hot in social media. How? Because we are understanding what the social media has been trending and then go to the live event and extract those five seconds, everything in real time. There are no human interventions. And then the audience can post them. So without the machine, you cannot be able to solve that problem. And then, obviously, the more data you have about the user, the more data you have about the video, you can improve your recommendation system, your search, and your ad market. So, so going to specific about how that solution works. So there is a module, the first module, that basically grabs the video. And the video could be three minutes or it could be an hour. But the problem is, in an hour of video or even in three minutes, you have most of the friends that they have the same information. So that first block that has machine learning but nothing um, in terms of deep learning, without any contextual information, without knowing anything about the video, looking just uh, all the metrics in the video, how the video was recorded, and how the objects differentiate between background or background, if it's relevant or relevant. What it's trying is to, instead of hours of video, it's trying to select those moments of the video that provides unique information, uncorrelated information. Because if it's correlated, you don't need multiple seconds. So with a few seconds, you have enough to describe that part of the video. So it's trying to move from a huge problem to something smaller to reduce our probability of error of matching the keywords that are associated to the whole video to those specific moments. Because at the end, we are looking for that part of the video that is uh, unique in terms of information. And it's not that much, because most of the video, you have the same information, the same people, the same background, the same things. And you are looking for moments that are relevant in terms of actions and so on. So here, if I have a, a, a football game, I will be able to grab all the touchdowns. I will be able to grab when the referees and you know, all the moments that are relevant. But at the end, if you have people attacking or people defending, that part visually, in terms of information, is basically the same. We skip that part. So we can reduce four hours of a game in maybe 30 moments or 35 moments, each of five seconds. And so the problem is way reduced. And then we just need to match between those keywords that we are extracting from the second block that is crawling every database. In this case, it will be crawling the web, we will be crawling social media, we will be crawling um, YouTube on the comments, the conversations. We're extracting any piece of information related to that content and using the craft of knowledge that we will be before and our own word-to-back solution. We're extracting those keywords that are relevant and then we match them to those parts of the video. And this is what we are using to train the model three that is the, the deep learning. Here is the classification. So now we know the parts of the video that are relevant. We match them uh, with those keywords. We have modified the, the neural net solution. We modify the figure of loss. We can go into the details because at the end you have a back of words and you need to match them. So you need to build a slightly different network, especially on the figure of loss. But it, it works, it converts, and, and you are able to match the, those keywords to the specific parts of the video. So you are able to classify it. And the final model, the model four, is the one that grabs all the user information. That is not a minor problem. Because at the end, you know, if we are in, in, in CBS, they will have uh, 350 million unique visitors. It means 350 million kind of cookies. And you have to manage the profiles of all of them. And you need to be able to make predictions for all of them. But at the end, the description of the video is the same. When you describe the video, the video is the same. What is different is the preference of each of you. So that's why we treated them as the two different problems. One is define properly how the video, uh, we describe the video. And second is make the prediction. But both, in terms of the scale and the complexity, are not minor problems. 
So what that helps us is because it's, it's very important. So we build, we train the network not on static images because at the end a touchdown is, cannot be defined with just a picture. It has to be defined with a few seconds. So we train the network with what we call moments. And, you know, I'm from Europe, so soccer, you know, when you score a goal, you can, there are multiple ways to score a goal. So you cannot describe a goal with a picture. So you have to have a few seconds of that video and train it. As, as the, and this is good because we are in an application with, uh, you know, Rafael Nadal that is basically just if the team player is doing the good movement or not. Okay, so you, you are training the network, not in images. You are training the network to look for a set of frames, uh, five seconds. And those are described with those keywords. And, and the next thing that uh, we need to be able to proud or, or continually update the, the, the contextual data because, again, this conference is different from another conference in Las Vegas, and it's happening today, and it will be different from what's happening tomorrow. So it has to be a constant real time of gathering information, and it has to be constantly uh, updated. And then it's, I use the example of, you know, there is a bomb in, in New York. We are working with the CNN. They got a video. We need to be able to upload that video, train the network uh, in real time, and in a few minutes we need to be able to understand any new video that comes to uh, uh, CNN and understand that this is about the, the bomb, not uh, where is this place. Uh, uh, you know, Real-time information is very important for some of our customers, and we need to be able to do that in real time without any human intervention. I've been going quite fast to be able to have opportunity for comments but I think I'm done. So um, I should have stuck to the Python notebook. I forgot to switch directories. So if I... Yeah. We switch, if I switch directories to, to, to where I'm supposed to be, and then I... So what's happening here is um, you can see the... Um, I chose a learning rate that was too big, and I'll just run a, a couple iterations, a few iterations, not that many. You can see the loss function, the, the, the loss value, you can see the, the, values, the, the loss value continues to get bigger and bigger. So it starts around uh, 0.7, then 0.9, and then 1.9, and it will continue to get bigger and bigger. This, this is an example of when the learning rate is too large and you end up actually diverging. Your accuracy starts at 55%, which makes sense. It initially, it should be close to 50%. You just have two classes. And then it grows, actually it grows, but then it starts decreasing and decreasing, and then it just random, and it's actually purely random at, at, at 50%. Um, I'll just run a couple, one quick example of, excuse me. Um, of here, I'm going to choose a very small learning rate, just 
and we here observe that uh, initially the the performance is going to be uh, around randomness, around random, so so 52%, and you'll see the performance is going to start improving, uh, but at a very small rate, so 52.4, 52.7, and, and and so forth. Um, so after playing with various values, you we can come up with a learning rate that works. Uh, and a learning rate of 0 0.001 um, happens to perform quite well. And uh, this is going to run for about 250 iterations, uh, which will take about five minutes, so, so I'll let it run in the background. And as it runs in the background, I already actually ran it before, and, and it's already trained, and I can show you some, uh, some results. And so I'm going to use, use it on this uh, dog versus cat image data set. Uh, in, I'm going to show, pass it some test examples. Um, so here is, I'm going to use some the Python bindings that come with CAFE. And I'm loading the train model. Uh, I load the train model, and then I'm going to pass it some image. So here is a cute image of a cat. Of a, I'm sorry, of a dog. Uh, and, and then I'm going to classify that image. And it's going to be either classified as 1 or 0. And it correctly classifies as, as a dog. And I can pick, you know, any, I can pick like a different cat with just some random values. And hopefully, that's. So the, the, the accuracy of this model, uh, after only five minutes of training, it goes from randomness to about 97% accuracy. Uh, this competition was done three years ago, and if you were to if, I, you know, if we had entered this competition, there were over 200 participants, we would have been in the, in the top 10% uh, of, of the participants as far as our accuracy. And this is just training one model. In practice, often people train an ensemble of models and then get a, use all of them to get a, even better accuracy. And that's what the actual winner of this competition uh, did. So in in... Summary, um, the, the invite is, there is this, this rumor, this myth, that if you want to do deep learning, you have to use uh, NVIDIA's GPUs. And, and the, the myth was actually true uh, up until recently. Intel just didn't have optimized libraries, so the performance was, was terrible. As, as you can see, like on, on MXNet, it, it's, it wasn't, it didn't make sense to use Intel CPUs. But now that we have optimized the libraries, 
the performance can be quite competitive on, on CPUs. Intel's also heavily invested in, into deep learning. We recently acquired a company known as Nirvana Systems. We're going to be integrating that IP uh, uh, into our products, and we're also going to be developing new hardware. So for the performance will continue to, to improve, uh, but especially in the near future when the C5 instances are uh, available, and I don't, I don't know exactly when, hopefully very soon, you should see a, an even bigger jump in in performance, making the performance even more competitive. So the link to the deep learning tutorial to the, to the um, Jupyter Notebook is, is, is shown here, and, and you can go through all the steps and, and all the examples that I showed. Uh, it, you, know, just, you just start uh, an Ubuntu instance and, and, and go through the examples. And doing all the installation steps takes about five minutes, going through from beginning to end should take you no more than 20 minutes to, to, to complete. Um, finally, um, I didn't talk much about how to train across multiple nodes, but the last link is a, it's an article that I co-wrote with um, Amazon Web Service Solution Architect that explains how to do this. And, it, and there were other sessions that talked about how to do the cloud formation and we go through all the steps here, specifically geared towards a cafe. Um, so that's, that's what I have, and I'm happy to take uh, any questions, and same with Jason.